Welcome to the Canby Christian Church Podcast. This is an on-Sunday episode. We're glad you're tuning in to join the conversation with us. Uh, We're the three pastors of the church sitting in a basement on a Tuesday talking about what happened on Sunday. I'm Rob. I'm I'm Robert. First, I'm Cody. (laughs) And then Rob and then Aaron. I'm Aaron. I was first. I, I... I jumped in there first today. Yeah. Well, this is a great week for us. We're excited. We love Easter week. It gets a little busier, but honestly, not that much busier. Yeah. Uh, Just one extra service. Um, But we're excited. Aaron, uh, I asked you this a minute ago when I wasn't recording. (laughs) You just finished a big paper, right? Yeah. Yeah. We were recapping our week, but I I can't honestly really remember what happened last week at this point. Um, cause I've been working on this paper kind of, I really just did the classic like college thing with a final paper or a midterm and I just did it all in one day. Um, up to the final hour, up to the final hour I finished and submitted a, I don't know, 10 page or 12 page paper at 1158. It was due at midnight and, um, and then yeah. you texted us at midnight at while midnight. we were sleeping. Well, it was funny. I, I actually, in all of my time in college and even in seminary i have never done that i've always submitted my paper like earlier on in the day or the day before or something like i have not ever had that classic college experience of like i'm submitting this thing in the final minute so it's kind of funny because this is my last paper that i will submit at this point before i graduate with a Mm. master's degree so you know, it's kind of like when I was watching the Masters this last week. Um, <laughs> the, the the Masters winner, you Scotty like Scheffler, I do. But it was hilarious on on the 18th hole. He had a five shot lead, and he four putted the green. Ooh, I like from like three feet. You know, it <laughs> oh, was no. so unbelievably embarrassing. You could imagine, like, but he won. But oh yeah, but he, not only did he four putt the green. And and still went. He won by three more shots, right? I mean, so he mm. had all this room. And I, some guys tweeted out like, "If you're gonna win the Masters, you might as well do it with a four putt on the 18th yeah. green, you know, like, and still win by three shots." Yeah, that almost rubs it in even more how far ahead you were. Totally. Yeah, it's like you know what? I can four putt this green, and I'll still beat y'all by three shots. Where was your beloved Tiger? Um, you know what? He finished. That's the point. Okay. He hobbled up the 18th. <laughs> he, hobbled. <laughs> he hobbled on up, and uh, he made the cut, which was a lot more than other great golfers did over the weekend. So, yeah, good for him and uh, good for the game. But, yeah, I love watching the Masters. I think I love what I love about it is it, it feels like it kicks off spring, mm. and I'm so ready for spring. And then here in the Northwest, they just – it just throws us this winter week. I know. <laughs> it's snowing. Anyway, speaking so, of bad yeah. weather, this week was weird. Like the wind was oh, crazy last week. My f- did I tell you this? My fence fell over. My fence got blown over. No the fence way. between me and my neighbor, um, like two. If you look at my house, the neighbor to the left of me, two panels of my fence just fell onto like the wow. garden box. So I came home from work one day and I just walk outside and I, I look over and I can see into my neighbor's yard. <laughs> uh, luckily they're, they're cool and they, they don't have any pets or anything. So it wasn't, you know, too much of a mess. Right. Um, and they're, they're pretty quiet. Like they stayed themselves, but he helped me. I went and knocked on his door and I was like, this is crazy. And he helped me move it. And so I actually just got a quote like good opportunity minutes ago someone's gonna come and fix it on the 17th or something like that so anyways that was a little bit of my week my fence fell over um the weather was weird i felt bad there's like those new houses they're building uh north side of territorial Mm. and holly there's like and they put this really nice wood fence with like stone pillars yeah and i drove by it and like all these panels blew over (laughs) brand new fence they're just blown over you know i'm like that's horrible like the builders have to replace that you know it was sad how about you cody how's your week my week was pretty good. Yeah. I uh, I uh, went to a Blazer game mm. uh, after church on Sunday, which was fun. The, the guy who coined the term Rip City uh, was retiring, so they had a little ceremony for him. 
uh, Damian Lillard made a speech that they will not be this bad next year. <laughs> <laughs> because they're going to have draft essentially, picks. Essentially an apology. Aren't they? Like, <laughs> this will not go on. Yeah. They're like, <laughs> please, please to continue bad. to like us, please. Yeah. That's what, funny. What does the, that mean? What? The, the term that he coined. Rip City? I'm new. Help me understand. Rip City, I mean, it's just like a... I I don't know specific. I don't know if anyone knows specifically what it means, but a, like a guy drained a big three pointer and he was like Rip City. He yelled it, you know. So yeah, uh, it's it kind of like it's kind of like on. the other guy that says bang, you know. Whenever yeah. somebody hits a three, bang, you know, you yeah. just coin this like thing and it just becomes your thing. That's probably just yeah. what he did. Yeah, I don't know. I can't explain it. Uh, but I was I was with Jeremy Schrock and uh, they handed out a head of the guy. Like uh, you know, on a stick. Oh, okay. And I was like, "Who is this?" And he like almost made me leave. He's like, "You can't watch this game with me. Anymore. You don't know who this guy is." <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I felt bad. And then uh-huh. he bought a snuggie, right? Dude, I'm jealous of the. It's like a wearable sleeping bag. Oh a, wow! A Blazers branded wearable Dang. sleeping bag that you can like. You can go from sleeping in your tent. Unzip the armholes, unzip the leg holes, and, and just, just walk out. He's <laughs> got a hood, and you just walk back into your tent, zip them up, and you're you're sleeping again. Wow, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm super jealous of it. I'm gonna have to find one. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I'm excited about Easter for sure. I'm excited about looking forward to uh, the resurrection and um, Good Friday, especially. These are this is always a cool week. Um, for ministry and bringing people together. And it's just, it's always interesting to see who, you know, comes as a new person mm-hmm. um, to your church. And I feel like right now it's especially interesting because so many people moved into the community in the last year or two years and they have not been to church uh, because they moved. And so now they're maybe they're like, oh man, I need to get back to church. And mm-hmm. maybe around Easter they excuse me they might be feeling that a little bit more so yeah it'll be an interesting year so uh excited about it for sure which maybe it'd be interesting to to talk a little bit we were talking about this in your office uh earlier today but our philosophy of easter some churches go (laughs) they go totally crazy or we were joking about the the trailer to the movie what uh, was it called? Mega church? No, uh, God people, right? Oh God yeah, people? God people. Oh, yeah, church and, people. Uh, church people. Church people. Church people. It was church people. Oh my God! It's like a satire. Where they they wanted to make their Easter big, um, and uh, and so they were gonna uh, crucify their youth pastor. They of had course. A, they had a doctor who was gonna you know be, be able to do it without with minimal nerve damage. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, and but the funny thing watching the trailer is the younger guy is having like a crisis of ministry philosophy going, why do we feel like we have to make the story of the resurrection bigger than what it is? Yeah. Jesus came back from the dead. Is that not enough? <laughs> but we, oh no, we got to do all these dramatic fog machines and do some uh, drama that portrayed like, yeah. isn't it enough that this story isn't that powerful enough to save people, you know? And it's, it's really funny. But then, the, you know, this, older sort of pragmatic seeker friendly pastor is like no we need to do this we need to do that and yeah. it's it's hilarious and uh yeah dave howard sent us the trailer yeah so uh, <laughs> i i was thanking him for a good laugh but it is it is true though like many churches are like yes. we we're gonna blow you know we're gonna blow the building up on yeah on easter uh you know we're gonna bring lions and tigers on stage right. we're gonna do right. like all this crazy stuff to attract people. Right. Um, but what we were talking about was, uh, people have said this phrase different ways. The, uh, one of my professors at Multnomah, you know, said what you call them to is what you call them with and what you call them with that you must sustain. Yeah. And so if you do all this crazy stuff on an Easter, um, they think it's going to be like that every week. Yeah. And they come back and go, why not? Or like you were saying, we already have, you know, such an epidemic of Christians who only go to church on Christmas and Easter. And if you do a special Easter, you know, more special than just like it's Easter, we're celebrating the most significant event in human history, Mm -hmm. you know, but if you're, if you need to make that even bigger than it is, you're almost affirming people that 
yeah, like Easter's are are yeah, just come out different. for the big days. Yeah, come for the big day. The other yep. ones don't matter. Yep, it's it's like I don't really watch baseball until like the playoffs, <laughs> or I don't really watch you know sport until that like the yeah. big events, you know. And some people treat like their church that way, you know. It's like I'm not gonna go to church and pour into regular relationships and just do the normal rhythms of Christian discipleship. Um, I'll just go to the big events, you yeah. know. And uh, I obviously that's not the kind of Christianity or the kind of discipleship that we want to cultivate no, here. No, not and the so culture we have. I, I, it is true. A lot of what you can learn about a church is not what they do, but what they don't do. Hmm. And we intentionally don't like, yeah, we're not going to have a big uh, production of all of these things. And it's not because we're lazy. It's because we're not trying to create that culture. Um, like as you were just saying, so it is important because every week we celebrate the Lord's day. <laughs> every <Yeah. laughs> week we celebrate that Jesus came back from the dead yeah. and that, you know, days before that he died in our place. And uh, every week we want to make it about the gospel and this is just a day where we specifically focus on that only, right? In, mm -hmm. in our Christian calendar. Um, so anyway, yeah, I think it is, it's good that you brought that up. It is a part of our philosophy of thinking about those kinds of things, you know? And we don't want to come across gimmicky. Yeah. Because there's nothing gimmicky about the gospel. And it truly is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. And we don't, we don't want to make that a gimmick or some marketable thing that we sell. Like there's nothing to sell about it. Yep. It's we herald it as true. And if you believe it, then and you'll see it in our congregation mm -hmm. and the way that we love one another and welcome people and things like that. So anyway. Yeah. So if you were wondering why Rob and I aren't out on the corner spinning a sign, mm -hmm. spinning an arrow, saying yeah. that there's a big blowout salvation sale this Sunday. I saw some, <laughs> right. some right. meme of like it was like the top was like youth or uh, worship pastors entering on Easter Sunday. And it was like a clip of some like old rock star flying in on a rope, landing on stage and like fireworks going off. And <laughs> he's playing the guitar and it's like, oh, it just sucks that it has become a parody, you know? And um, yeah, that's, I'm glad that we have the philosophy mm. we do that when they come, when, when people come to our church, let's say they're trying it because the Easter holiday is here. They're invited by a family or a friend and they would otherwise maybe skip it, but because of the holiday, they're interested. And they come and they experience what we do every Sunday. Mm -hmm. That's what we, we want to communicate. This is who we are every week. You know, just this week, we're, we're paying particular attention to this story in the scriptures. But overall, this is who we are every week, week in, week out. That that movie is actually available on Amazon Prime. Oh, no. and they they for free? For free, yeah. Oh, well, if you have well yeah, Prime. yeah, if you have Prime Video. But they have a... They have a discussion guide that goes with it. Really? Yeah. They're, Interesting. I mean, they're so, like, so this group is literally trying to help people see. Oh, this yeah. is this is a joke. This, this is, is not to make fun of Christians. It's it's a, it, yeah. It's it's right. a way of saying, hey, look in the mirror. This is how dumb you look. Right. When you do these kind of it's by things. one of those Christian movie production companies. Yeah, like their discussion guide for one is like, is the gospel enough? Do you know the gospel? And then it's just like. It actually looks really cool. Wow. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The In the trailer, it seemed like the younger guy was sort of asking really good questions. Like, yeah. is this really what we should be doing right now? Are we putting a distraction in front of the gospel, actually? <laughs> like, And, uh, yeah, it, was, it seemed kind of like it could be really funny, but it could yeah. be actually a good sort of like jolt to say, why are you doing what you're doing? You know, right. quit doing these gimmicky like things. In, in order to attract people, you know? So, But none of us have watched it. So if you go watch it and are thoroughly offended by something, you got to talk to Dave Howard. <laughs> <laughs> Email DaveH at KingFish.org. Yeah, as we haven't seen it. We don't know anything about it. We just we just <laughs> share some things, you know, around that are make us laugh or something like that. So, someone texted me, and I was thinking, I bet you there's some church going to put that this out in front of their church on their bulletin board or a, a sign or something that says uh, normal isn't coming back. Jesus is coming back. <laughs> Have you guys seen that? <laughs> no, that's pretty good. And other cheesy things Christians say. Um, yeah. Cause we're all like, I just want to get back yeah. to normal. Normal isn't coming back. Jesus is coming back. It's sort mm -hmm. of like a Jesus juke. Um, but yeah, <laughs> we're not going to have banners out there saying that therefore come to our church for Easter. Cause Jesus is coming back. 
which is true, but we don't need to be gimmicky or cheesy about it, you know? Mm -hmm. Anyway, good talk. Now, uh, awesome. <laughs> we'll get back on subject yeah. here before we rabbit trail any deeper. I mean, yeah, I think that's on subject. People misunderstanding. Oh, totally. The, yeah, yeah. Uh, mission of the church. Ooh. I don't know. Maybe. Who does and that then apply these, to? Uh, these people in the story misunderstood mm. the who, teaching of scripture. Who are they coding? Back. Boom. That's a segue. Segway <laughs> or a Segway? <laughs> segway. Midwest segue. coming out. Segway. Uh, awesome. Yeah, so we're in Mark uh, 12, 18 to 26. Jesus is uh, is hanging out, and these Sadducees are like, this guy, we're smarter than him. Let's go make him look like an absolute fool. Mm -hmm. And uh, it doesn't work out how they think it's going to. Yeah. I, I Well, I'll comment before coming off the transfiguration and then coming into this passage, like the question of, you know, why, why look at this story in a Easter series, you know? And honestly, I have no like deep, like, I'm not going to sit here and say I had these premonitions one night and no visions. You know, God spoke on high and said, preach this text. I was just scanning through Mark and saw these illusions to the resurrection in like the transfiguration and then in this story specifically with their struggle over um, the resurrection or life life after the grave and uh, I, I was listening to a podcast from a very popular podcaster that I'm not gonna mention his name because <laughs> um, I don't want to promote him but mm -hmm. anyway I was listening to uh, a clip of his and man he was just grilling this person he was interviewing of what does this person think happens after we die? And I mean, this is a non-Christian person, very curious of what is what happens after this. Like, the, mm -hmm. and he was, one thing he was convinced of is this couldn't be it, that there's no mm. way. And, but he has no answer for what that could be. And I think really he's, he doesn't want to explore the Christian faith because then that there's all kinds of stuff that comes with that, right? I have to actually repent of sinfulness and submit to Christ as Lord and those kinds of things, and he's not going to want to do that very easily. Um, it means his lifestyle is going to have to change and stuff like that. But people want to know what what happens and what, for these Sadducees, what a benefit in regard to guilt to say there's nothing after this. There's no there's no accountability, eternal accountability for mm -hmm. my actions. And it's it's kind of interesting and then sad at the same time, right? What is, is right. what what is the joke? <laughs> it was Cody. Cody said it last week <laughs> where he was like, yeah, what how does it go, Cody? The the fair, or the the they don't believe in the resurrection. That's why they're sad. You see. Yeah, <laughs> there you <Yeah>. go. <laughs> the Sadducees. So I thought we could title the message "Why the Sadducees Are Sad." You, you see? see. Yeah. <laughs> Do you see now? Do you see they Do don't believe see? in the resurrection? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the discussion is important to think about life after death, and there is life after death, and the scriptures prove that, mm. and. uh and I think that's a great story to highlight that. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, we can get into it. What would you guys think? Uh, one of the things you said in your sermon, which I was thinking, I didn't write it in the notes, but um, was the way in which, and we talked a little bit about this in our life group too, the way in which Jesus deals with different groups of people is always so interesting. Like different mm -hmm. levels of accountability. Yeah, they're like his, I wish you could see his his actual body language and mannerisms like we're just <laughs> yeah. reading the text so it's hard but like that you are quite wrong i, I kind of want to see how did he deliver that mm -hmm. that you know whatever line i guess you could say or his his dialogue there or even in the beginning you know his his question which is so clearly he's answering it is this not the reason you're wrong because you know neither the scriptures of the power mm -hmm. of god but anyways I, I was just line. thinking like he deals with these guys not rudely but definitely sternly and and not in a soft way but in a you know in a way that's kind of firm and then you look at the way he deals with the rich young ruler which is like to question and pull out the the realities of what why is this guy asking me this question about how can i be you know how can i 
have eternal life and and all these kinds of things and he and then he reveals to him oh sell everything and follow me and that just pulls out this idolatry in his heart and and then you think about how he deals with like the woman at the well or or even Zacchaeus or there's a, a million different interactions Jesus has with people but that's not something that is like specific to the point of the text necessarily but it's just something that's always interesting for me to consider as I'm reading the gospels mm-hmm. and thinking about how might we like appropriate that way of living where Jesus was gentle and kind with some and more stern and more abrupt with others. And the way that he deals with them is, is kind of funny. It's sort of in the middle. He's not being overly harsh like he does elsewhere with the Pharisees, but he is, he's almost like he's sort of taking pity on them for just being so misguided and self-interested and then, but being really firm, like you are, you're wrong. Like you are quite wrong. <laughs> um, anyways, I just, that was just something I was thinking about and we were chatting about it, but I don't know if you had any thoughts or did you think about, you mentioned in your sermon, so you thought about it a bit. Yeah, of course. I mean, I'm, everybody I think is curious with their, his tone. Right. It's like, it's kind of the whole, it's not what you said, it's the way you said it, you know, because mm-hmm. you can say it a certain way that is clear and cutting but it's not bashing right like if my voice is loud like tone matters obviously we know that in communication but we don't have tone (laughs) in in this um it's it's impossible to really know or understand now if you get into the greek you can get a little bit of the tone and the mood is what they call it but it's not really super important in in uh discussing meaning um and and it wouldn't it wouldn't apply here to this passage uh at, le- at least to his statement there in regard to mood and stuff like that you find that in other kind of genres but anyway um yeah i am fascinated by that and i think it was a good th- thing like text to look at because the way we interpret scripture is like really important especially in our day and age it, a lot of reading of scripture is subjective like I said in second service more like clearly, nobody cares what you think. We only care what the author wanted us to know about what he was saying about this passage. It's not about what I think. It's about what he thought it is. That's what I need to figure out. And we call that reader intent Hmm. versus author intent, right? So we want author intent. We don't want reader intent because... Well, I think the the Sadducees are an, are an example of reader intent. So they're reading an Old Testament passage of Scripture about marriage, and the reader intent in going to that text is to prove resurrection isn't real. And so they're reading into a passage of Scripture right. that is about marriage and remarriage, and they are saying from this text, we're going to argue the... Uh, non-possibility of a resurrection. And it's like, that's that text isn't even talking about resurrection at all. So why are you <laughs> arguing from that text? Right. It's because they're seeing something that is not there because they want to see it right. because it fits their mm-hmm. agenda and their narrative. That's called reader intent. It's um, eisegesis is a more technical term, right? It's reading into the text where we want exegesis. We're, we're pulling out of the text, what is there versus reading into something that is not there, but it fits our agenda. And uh, this maybe would be another example I've heard for like a more feminist position, like uh, Jesus was a feminist and the idea of like women pastors, they say, well, the first preacher of the gospel was a woman Mary, you know, who heard that and she went and preached to the disciples. Therefore, women should be pastors. Okay, that story. Yes, there is a woman who goes, finds out about the resurrection. The first preacher of the resurrection. That's what it is. First preacher of the resurrection. Therefore, Mm -hmm. of the gospel, the good news. Jesus come back to life. Was a woman. Therefore, women should be pastors. And okay, that story has nothing to do with women in pastoral leadership in a church. Right. That is a descriptive passage that describes what happened on the morning of Jesus' resurrection. The disciples, the men who should have been leading, were not leading. They were afraid and scared and hiding. And and as a, a tale of 
sort of uh, accountability, I guess you could say, God would have probably revealed himself to these disciples, but instead they're hiding. So when the men should have been doing what they were doing, they weren't. And so guess what? God revealed himself to women. And, uh, and then she ran and told the disciples, and I bet you they felt like cowards. And that's, that's kind of the point of the story, is these men who should have been leading were not leading, and God used this woman. That's not the ideal situation, but God will use anyone who's willing, but it's not the ideal situation. But again, that's, a, that's an example of eisegesis. That's not what that text is saying. In fact, it's saying the opposite. The men should have been leading, but they weren't. But God will, will use women in that, but that's not the ideal. That's not what God set up as the ideal situation. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm rabbit trailing here a little bit, but I think that's just another example of how people can read into things because they have an agenda. They want to prove something, and so they find a story that if they manipulate that thing enough, they can make it say whatever they want it to say. But is that what that story is really about? And mm-hmm. we have to do, as Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, do that hard work of rightly dividing the word of truth. Like, what is it actually saying yeah. and figuring it out from its context and uh, and the overall context of the book that it's in and this and that. Yeah. And anyway. Yeah, as if Emily, uh, as you were preaching, leaned over and said she had just been reading uh, also in Second Timothy, but chapter four. Um, and she said it's what made her think of that. And it's this... Uh, this uh, for three, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Yep. And, uh, and that's what we do all the time, right? Yep. It's like, w- which one makes me feel good? Okay. Yep. Find me more people who teach that and I'll just stick with that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. And it's so, it's, it's easy to do. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that's obviously the Sadducees issue, but their bigger issue, he tells them is they don't know the scriptures and they don't know the power of God, Mm -hmm. which I didn't get into this in the, in the sermon because it's a little bit too like academic and boring, but when it, so let's get into it now. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) But when you think about the scriptures, there's two things we think about inspiration and illumination. Mm -hmm. So inspiration all scripture is inspired by God, right? It's God breathed and no human being wrote these things by their own will, but were moved by the Holy Spirit, right? That's inspiration. So this, this word of God is not the word of Mark. It's the word of Mark that's penned via the illumination of the Holy Spirit, right? Mark didn't write these things of his own accord. We believe there's a divine author behind the human author. That's mm-hmm. inspiration. And these guys did not believe in the inspiration of the rest of the books of the Old Testament. They only held to the five books of Moses. So they were lacking documents that would give inspiration. They were denying inspiration of Scripture and holding holding to these few. Now, there's enough in the first five books of Moses yeah. that they should have known. Um, which is what Jesus uses. Which is what Jesus uses. Oh, okay, okay, let's just go with the ones you use, yeah. and I'll still win this argument. I'll still win it. Yeah. I'm They're, still wiser than you. The gospel is in the book of Genesis. Mm-hmm. Uh, Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteous. And he didn't even have the Bible. He was living. He was the Bible character <laughs> that Moses would later write about <laughs> when he was recording Genesis. But there, so there was enough um, revelation, uh, God's speech to his people that he understood enough to be saved. So there's enough there, but this inspiration conversation is about the books that we adhere to as canon, as truth are really important. And Rob, you were mentioning earlier, maybe this would be a cool time to talk about that. Maybe another podcast, we'll talk about the canon of scripture and why these books matter and why others books were left out like the Apocrypha or whatever, but I don't want to get into that. The other word though, illumination is, okay, these books are inspired by God, but I need, as a reader, the Holy Spirit to open my eyes as well to understand and interpret these words. And I need the blindness, my mm-hmm. spiritual blindness, removed. I need my spiritual deafness uh, to be removed. 
you're gonna that's what you're gonna preach on <laughs> on the road to Emmaus yeah. right these dudes knew the scripture these disciples they saw Jesus and yet they were completely befuddled mm-hmm. and then the great thing Jesus beginning at the beginning in the scriptures or something like that preached how all of these things would take place to the Messiah or something and then later on they recount did our hearts not burn within us yeah. when he opened up the scriptures to us right these men knew the inspiration. They believed it, but they didn't have the illumination. They neither knew the scripture. They, these Sadducees had two problems, though. They did not know the scriptures, and they did not know the power of God. They didn't have the inspiration, and they didn't have the illumination. And so we need both of those things. So God's uh, enabling to understand and comprehend truth uh, from from both of those ways. And their biggest issue, right, is they didn't understand the power of God in his ability to bring life from death. Um, but they personally did not know that because they weren't. He basically what he's saying is you're not converted. And yeah, <laughs> so that that's a crazy thing to say. Mm-hmm. You are. I mean, he's said crazier things before. You're whitewashed tombs. You brought a vipers. I mean, he said some pretty yeah. rad things. But, I mean, yeah, that's essentially what he's saying, is you don't know the Bible, you don't know what God said, and you don't know his power because you've never tasted of his salvation. Yeah. And therefore, of course, you're in darkness. Of course, you would ask me such a stupid question <laughs> that, because you, you lack these two really important things in order to ask, ask the right question. And if mm-hmm. you had those things, you would never have asked me that question. Right. And so, yeah, it's <laughs> kind of crazy. So what do we need to do to rightly divide the word of truth. How do we avoid being like the Sadducees as we're reading the Bible? I mean, what do you think? I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind initially in light of your illumination point is that we ought to be praying. We ought to be asking God to open our spiritual, you know, eyes to see what's in the scriptures because like you're saying, there's two components. There's reading well, which we can get into, which there's a lot of steps to that maybe, but then also just um, hearing from God and, and allowing God to, you know, to open up our hearts to see his word as it truly is, you know. So prayer is is a good component of that. And if we want our friends, family, neighbors to understand the God, God's word, we ought to be praying for them as well, you know. But another thing to think about, I mean, basically it's just principles of, uh, here's a here's a fancy word. You'd like to throw them around a lot, hermeneutics, yeah. which is basically just how to rightly interpret right. Right, the word. So what are some steps like understanding the genre, right, well, is I, maybe one thing. Well, maybe back up. What, I mean, when you were a new Christian mm-hmm. and you started reading the Bible, I mean, was there ever an experience or a time when you're like, I, I'm... I feel like I'm understanding what it's saying here. And, but there was a time where you didn't understand it. And then mm-hmm. I'm, I guess what I'm at leading to that question is what helped you like begin to understand how to read and, and interpret the Bible and, and get to the, the big idea and the main point of what the author is saying, like what helps you? Well, I think on some degree, it's the the miraculous presence of the Holy Spirit within me, but oh, for sure. so that's the first thing, but that's the, the foundation. Is, you have to be saved. Right. Or you're not really, really going to like yeah. get it. You you're know? just reading what is essentially an old historical text. Like it's not, there's no nothing living it's in foolish. it for you. Yeah. It's just foolish. It just makes no sense to you. So I think yeah. that obviously was the most important part. But then also having, I think, studying in community and having friends. Like for 100%. me, that was the first thing. That's exactly yep. what I was going to say as well. It was having people who actually understood the Bible well, you know, or at least better than I did. Yep. <laughs> could come alongside me and... And yeah, and that, that didn't always lead to the, to the best outcome because, you know, everyone is not particularly right or, you know, so at some points that was great, but at some points they maybe had an idea about the scriptures that was off and I had no idea because I was so naive and it only happened later through further study that I realized what that person was telling me was actually not correct, you know? So on one side, the community of faith, you know, if it is functioning well will be your greatest ally in understanding the word. That's why we listen to preaching every Sunday. But uh, on the other side, you can't just rely on what people tell you because you will end up possibly like no doubt the Sadducees, there were, 
prior Sadducees before them who convinced them that the resurrection is not real in the life. You know, like they were they were duped as well. And, you know, you think of the Bereans in Acts who are studying diligently like that. That is another aspect of it. Too. But, yeah, the community was a was a big part of it. What else? Yeah, I, that's exactly what I was going to say was as a new Christian, you need a buddy like you need to find somebody that you can read the Bible with. And uh, Dave Howard challenged uh, the elders and pastors the other day to do one on one Bible reading and find somebody and read through books of the Bible with them. And anybody listening, I would encourage you to do the same. Like you don't have to be a, a super mature Christian to, in fact, if you're not all the more reason why you need to partner up with someone one to one two, you know, maybe three of you just sitting down and reading the Bible. Obviously we do that in life group, but I mean, when you got eight, nine, 10, 12 people in there, like that's awesome. Now you're getting all of this community and you're getting like more mature discussion, newer Christians, like you're getting more generational uh, perspective. But when you got one person in there, like you just, you can't hide it like you can maybe in a small group of 12, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it's just you and this other person. And I think that that's really, really important. I didn't have that. Like I didn't have the community that you were talking about until later on. Um, I started making some Christian friends and I got into a, a men's Bible study and that was, that was pretty helpful. But I would say I really didn't start understanding it until I read a commentary book uh, by John Stott. And it, even though like he was alive then he died a few years later i don't know john stott i mean he was a british guy you know i don't know him personally but i felt like to some degree i was discipled through i read his his commentary on the sermon on the mount so just matthew 5 6 and 7 and i just read his comments on what these verses are saying and i remember reading through the first chapter, which went over the Beatitudes, I think the first half of the Beatitudes. And I had been a Christian maybe a year and a half at this point. And I would, I, I seriously put the book down and thought, I have never heard somebody talk about the Bible like that. I mean, it was hmm. so unbelievably clear. I felt like I had a road to Emmaus moment hmm. <laughs> where like somebody opened the scriptures with me and just clearly explained the text in such a relevant way but such a biblical way and and you know then i find out later on that john stott is like a master wordsmith and every (laughs) i mean he so many people i mean rick warren you go down the list and people will say john stott had a massive influence on my early christian life in regard to reading the bible and falling in love with the bible and so it's funny that i would stumble upon just a Sermon on the Mount book. I mean, that's what it was. I literally went to a bookstore, saw this book, picked it up, had no idea who it was. So sometimes finding a good book that will help you along, it's discipleship and the guy, and the person doesn't even have to be there. Mm-hmm. You're just reading their comments and that's the beauty of that. Now you need to be careful who you read because there's a lot of bad commentator, uh, you know, biblical commentators out there, but there's a lot of great ones too. Um, and that's that's one good way, especially if you're new. Getting a good study Bible hmm. would be massive. Totally. Um, I promote the ESV study Bible a ton. We use the ESV translation on Sundays. Um, Faith Life has a free study Bible. The Faith Life study Bible is nice. Too. Yeah, it's yeah, digital. I'm sure it's really good. It, it's great. It's got yeah, good I bet it's notes, real good. Good, uh, like diagrams and maps it's actually super helpful it'll link you to other articles sometimes you don't have access to those articles it just depends but (coughs) Mm -hmm. yeah you have to like purchase the logos bible software for some of that stuff but yeah but even um, the free version of the logos bible software will come free with the faith life study bible yeah yeah yeah. but there's a oh I, i sent you guys the the link there's a guy who does a ministry um and it's, he does one-to-one Bible reading and he has like a, I don't know, four questions that you should ask every time you come to the Bible. It's very similar to what we're doing in small group anyway. Um, but when you're reading with somebody, he calls it like comma or something or coma, context, yeah. observation, meaning, application. 
context, observation, meaning, mm -hmm. application. So you ask those questions, like when I'm reading this, what is the context of the Sadducees uh, question? Oh, the context is Passion Week and the context is Jesus is being questioned by a bunch of people and confronted by all of these things. So that's the context. And then you sort of look at some of the observation. Well, what are the what's the observation of this text? Well, there's some Sadducees in here. Who are the Sadducees? You know, you just start getting down mm -hmm. to these good observing questions. And then from that, you have enough information to sort of land at meaning. Well, what's what's the author meaning by this story? And then you and then you can draw application um, from that. And there may be one, there may be several uh, different ways to apply it, depending on your situation or whatever. Um, usually for in a gospel, you know, the application, the application is the gospel writer wants you to believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's that's the main gospel. But what is it about that text that he wants you to believe about Jesus? Is it his humanity, his deity, um, his his purpose and redemptive history? Like, what is it you want? To, anyway, so, yeah, those are some. Well, things I mean, like the about. meaning of the text, there's a single meaning. Uh, and this, like you mentioned it in your sermon, it's basically like he, the author, the Holy Spirit wants us to know that he is the God, of, not the God of the dead, but the God of the yes. living. Yeah. Like, and I think that what's nice in this section is there is that punch that Jesus gives in verse 27. Totally. That's just so helpful as readers. But then you can look at the whole passage and you can say, oh, but we can also take as application the fact that the Sadducees were so misguided allow like we need to think about the fact that we may be misguided and how can we avoid being misguided we need to look at the scriptures and reflect on the power of god right so that could be an application like we're talking about now about how to understand the bible well <clears throat> and things like that well yeah. one one piece of observation i'll say this is like the structure is of a passage is really important and and it's hard if you haven't really been like trained or whatever, but it's not impossible to look at the structure of a passage. So sometimes the author will, will literally make a point in the beginning or in the middle or at the end. And so like the parable of the prodigal son or the, uh, the, the two parables before that, the, the lost sheep, the lost coin. So he starts telling the story and as a reader, you're going, okay, where's this story going? What's the point? And then he comes to the point at the end and says, just in the same way, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So that's the point. And so then when he lands at the third tale, there was a son who was lost and, and he rejoiced, but then he kind of lingers on this last son and, and he doesn't really return. And, but he doesn't make that point because he's already made the point. So you know what the point is when you get to the parable of the prodigal son is that there's joy when people repent that means when people don't repent, you're, you're, you're missing out on the joy. Right. And boom, there's your context. There's your point because the author made the point, but you see it in the structure. Mm -hmm. In that sense, it comes at the end. In this story, it comes at the end. God is the God of the living, not the God of the dead. Like you're supposing he is. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, but I think there's sometimes where they make the point in the beginning and then they make an explanation, much like writing a thesis paper or something. You know, yeah. you, you you state your purpose of your paper, and then the rest of your paper is defending that. You know, and there's a lot of times that that takes place. I think Genesis one one is a thesis statement. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's your thesis statement, and now I'm proving that from the rest. Everything I'm writing from this point is based on that belief and understanding. You could also call it a postulate. Um, but, but anyway, structure becomes, matters. Yeah, structure is incredibly important, but it becomes difficult when you look at different genres because different genres structure differently. Like the poetry and the Psalms can be difficult to understand what is the main point at, at some points. With the Gospels, these stories, the sometimes even like the, the Gospel writer will put in the, the point of the story yeah, yeah. to help the reader understand. Um, but, and the, then, but the Psalms are pretty simple because they're like, they're stanzas, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And there's a lot of repetition. They're music, you know? So like, like when we sing a song on Sunday, you know what the point of the song is because it's repeated over and over again in the chorus. Yeah. And then the <laughs> verses are the support. Mm -hmm. 
And then, the, and then the bridge is the main point. And the bridge <laughs> is sort of the colorful, uh, make sure everybody's still paying attention. What's, uh, the, bridge? <laughs> What's the bridge like? Yeah. Oh, yeah. As long as the worship The bridge leader, is the application. And the build. As long as the worship leader sings the actual words of the song. Yeah, then, it doesn't then the main, say the main, the main point. The main point comes through. Uh, do we, through do really we need well. to get into this, Cody? <laughs> but you know what I mean? Uh, the Psalms are oftentimes pretty clear in their structure yeah. because, but you kind of, again, you have to understand a little bit of poetry and how stanzas work and stuff like that. But right. Psalm 1 is incredibly easy. Yeah. How, oh, yeah. how to be blessed. Uh, don't be an idiot and listen to people <laughs> who don't know God. And instead, listen to God. Is that his word? Is that a paraphrase? Yeah. That's a paraphrase. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is the, is the Aaron it's living the, translation? It's the modern version. Don't be an idiot. <laughs> Don't be an idiot. I think I think going off of that too, though, like the experience of not understanding and then feeling like more of the understanding is becoming clear of the Bible, and and probably this is a, a longer way of saying context, but I think it's time spent in scripture yes. also contributes to yeah, that absolutely. the more time and that's not something like you can't start today oh okay i'm going to start reading the bible like this this is like years and years and years yep. of reading different bible passages and going like oh well that that's saying the opposite of what this one said and then you go back and you're like oh well actually no they both fit together they're two sides of a coin and the, the as you go through and you learn scripture more and more and more like it, when you, it becomes more obvious when you're misinterpreting, misinterpreting, mm-hmm. interpreting, <laughs> misinterpreting <laughs> something because you know of all the things that fit together that you've read throughout the Bible. And so the more the, and really that is just context, but it's like whole Bible context yes. and like whole Bible applied in your life context. You mm. know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Good point. I, I, I was telling you guys earlier, uh, Steve Santos, called me last night in the middle of me writing this paper and uh, asked a really deep, difficult question about a story of in Judges about Jephthah and his rash vow and how he made this vow that he would sacrifice anything that came through the door because God, you know, did this amazing, mighty thing. And he was... He made he made a stupid vow because what happened next was his daughter walked through the door. Yeah, and which so kind of what did he expect? Did he think a lamb would trot through the door randomly? Uh, like yeah. obviously it was going to be a person. I think he I think he did. I think he thought that that's like when you read some of the commentaries that everybody's confused by it. Yeah, because it's such a strange thing to do. It was totally unnecessary to make the vow in the first place, and and then to go through with it seeing as though God, you know, specifically talks about uh, not sacrificing your children in worship to God and like and was not Molech or whatever, the followers of Molech was sacrificed children. Yeah. 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 And many of the other surrounding nations did those kinds of things. And so it's like compounding of sin. And, and yet, you know, in his mind, he felt like he was doing the right thing by fulfilling a vow. And the the crazier thing is that he he goes and talks to his daughter about it, explains his folly, and then she's like, "You know what? I'll I'll, I'll do it. I'll go through with it. Just let me mourn for a couple months, and then you can sacrifice me." And that's what the assume uh, assumed understanding is that they went through it, uh, and and he put her to death. And he's like, what does this story mean? Yeah. You know, like, what does it have to do with, you know, my leadership as a man in my household? What does it have to do with my, you know, w- when you just are a leader in general and you make mistakes that cost that other people have to bear the cost for? And and I was explaining to him, those are great questions. But in regard to answering your other question, Rob, this story is a great example of maybe we don't understand the meaning of this story. Like there's some really weird stories that in and of themselves, we don't have an answer for in the time frame of which they were written. They're just kind of empty until we get to Jesus. Hmm. And so Jesus is the greatest hermeneutical key is what I'm saying to our understanding of scripture. So how does this story fit in with the story of, of the person of Jesus, right? So like when you're in the road to Emmaus story and he explains how all of the scriptures point to him and are fulfilled in him. So this story of Jephthah somehow points us to Jesus. And, and how does it do that? Well, I think, 
on some level, just like this daughter, you know, she submitted herself to sacrifice. So did Jesus. I also think we have a greater father than this Jephthah was, <laughs> you know, he like this Jephthah was supposed to be the leader, the judge of Israel, and he screwed up. Well, the good news is we have a greater Jephthah. We have a Jesus, right, who doesn't put people at risk, but instead willingly sacrifices himself in our place, um, those who actually made the mistake. And so there's a lot of great ways we can look at that story and say, wow, for them, it was just one big mess. But how that one big mess points us to Jesus and how he did a greater thing. Um, and and he's our hero, not Jephthah. I, th- I think, th- so those are some go- good ways too to think about understanding the Bible is you were saying about time, spending time in God's word and seeing how o- over time you read all these books of the Bible and you'll start to see the fabric, how it all fits together. Um, but then it ultimately, we need to come back to how does this story relate to Jesus and not spiritualizing it because people do that kind of stuff. Um, but seeing how it's fulfilled in Jesus or because of what Jesus did, now we should do that, right? Either b- before the cross or after the cross. And so anyway, those those are important things to do as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, f- I think finding people to read the Bible with is probably the most important thing. As my old professor used to say, theology and community. Like you need to read the Bible with a group of Christians and wrestle it out together because on your own, you don't know. Because theology is not only like developed in community, but it's for the community. It's for relationships, right? Like what are the spiritual gifts? What does he mean by that? Okay, let's discuss what he means by that so that we can practice these gifts in edifying one another. Like it's for the application of them too in the community of faith. Yeah. So we we learn what the text is saying and we apply it together as well. And so that's why they, um, that's why that's a good, definitely probably the best I would say and an encouragement to understand uh, what you're reading in the Bible for sure and not go, mm-hmm. not go off. But yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's funny. This argument is funny anyways. That because basically their argument is if resurrection can happen and this scenario happened of the wife and her bro- and the brothers all die, yeah, then resurrection would be really complicated, yeah, therefore resurrection's not real like that's <laughs> not like a like the argument is nonsense if if resurrection could create a complicated scenario, then resurrection can't be true is it like not like that's nonsense <laughs> yeah it's a nonsense way and so i think that's also an interesting thing too when we're reading the bible just because it makes something complicated just because this moral teaching makes whatever is happening in our current culture kind of complicated it doesn't mean it's not true anymore yeah just because it feels mm-hmm. like it would get sketchy when in my relationships with my friends if this part of the bible is true that's not a reason to throw out the Bible or throw out that part of the Bible. Right. Or walk away from Christianity in general or whatever, you know. It's it's something being complicated and difficult doesn't make it untrue. Right. That's <laughs> true. That is true. But they lacked a lot of they made a lot of assumptions. Yeah. About what our bodies in heaven will be like. Yeah. If there is a heaven, you know, like for them. Um and so I think they were they had a lot of uh misunderstandings. They were misguided. In some things, but on that point, I just laugh because these guys were the academics; they were the smart ones. And yet, you hear this, and you like the like illogical story that they create and their question. It's like you don't—they don't even realize how dumb they sound, and and it's kind of sad when you see like intellectuals like intellectualize themselves to the point of like just being completely off the wall and they don't even see it and it's kind of sad um yeah. but yeah i f- i think i find i think resurrection is probably one of the more fascinating uh aspects of <sighs> biblical theology i think it it's an interesting i often not often but periodically think like man it it'd, it'd be nice to just like be done with the struggle 
you know mm. not like not like anything that's ever come close to like a suicidal thought but like if i if, when my life's over I, I finally won't be struggling i won't be dealing with my anger i won't be dealing with my selfishness i won't feel incompetent i won't feel a lack of something that i'm struggling to get like it'd be nice to just be done with the struggle and for some people that's like their only hope is like they die and they don't have to experience any more suffering um and so i think this idea that like we would be alive again but fully like it's not just like you're dead so it's over and you don't have to worry about it anymore but you're like fully satisfied you know mm-hmm. fully complete um but still alive and aware oh. and experiencing it is a like really profound uh hopeful thing i think it was it was fun it maybe makes me think the other day we were sitting at dinner we were talking and my girls were asking questions about like seeing people in heaven someday and uh and i was just in a weird mood and so i was thinking out loud and i was like well we don't know what, what heaven's like i and i asked I was saying to Tyler, I'm like, maybe, maybe we're so perfectly united with God that like, we we can't even tell each other apart. We're so perfectly united. You don't see any individual people. Like we're perfectly united, uh, in a way that like we can't even understand right Mm. now, you know? And I can't remember what, one of them said something that made me think I was saying that like, we're all part of God. Mm. And so when we're together, and I and I said, well, well, God's fully Himself without us. Mm-hmm. And Riley, like, she didn't she didn't even wait a second. She just goes, yeah. And we're never fully ourselves without God. <laughs> Dang, dude. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah. It was like so perfect. She just like nailed it. Like, uh, she's read Augustine. That's but for sure. I think, but <laughs> I think, but that's the that's that thought at resurrection. At some point, we will still be fully ourselves but like with perfectly with God. And there's like no way like we could ever wrap our minds around that. And I think that's why sometimes people think that that new life uh, and the, and heaven, they start to go like, that sounds kind of boring because it's like, well, what would I do if I don't have to work for something or I don't have to Mm. struggle to get something like that sounds kind of boring. And it's like, we can't even fathom what it would be like to be perfectly at peace and and be able to experience that as ourselves not as like you know some dead like i just am no longer conscious i'm conscious and aware but fully incorporated into god's presence and his glory it's like well we can't wrap our minds around that whatsoever yeah and you're not you're not philosophically thinking about that that's like in the bible psalm 16:11 <laughs> in your presence is fullness of joy Mm. and at your right hand are pleasures evermore Mm. so fullness of joy and pleasure like those these are the two things like who does not want to have those (laughs) two like on the the pursuit of happiness right like this is the american dream the american dream is is just like a hint that we want some that we were made for something more right that's c.s lewis um but you're like the promise of the psalmist is like in in your presence like you'll have that and uh for all eternity and that's amazing to yeah. think about like like c.s lewis said that you quoted the other day we're all too easily satisfied mm-hmm. when we settle for these lesser things um the but the the sad thing is the alternative when people don't commit their life to Christ and they do just want to be done with this life, the problem is, is it doesn't end after this life. Mm. That suffering that you have now is continues on. Mm. And unfortunately they're, they've been deceived in thinking that they've ended, they've ended one suffering just to fall into another, right? They've, you know, jumped out of the frying pan into the fire Lit, mm-hmm. you know metaphorically spiritually speaking and it's sad all the more reason why we ought to continue to herald the truth about there is a better a better way a better path yeah. and uh there is hope for the hopeless and uh and his name is jesus absolutely but, yeah and, and i think that's that's the purpose of 
what we want to focus on on Easter, right? Is there is life after death. And this life is really important, but it's it's like not worth, like Jesus said, what, what is a profit of man if he gains everything in this life but loses his soul? And what would you give in exchange for your soul? And what would you, I mean, I, I give up everything to have eternity. You know, like what is it, what does any of this stuff matter, this temporary stuff? Like, I don't care about all that. I want, you know, there's no cost. I won't lay down, you know? Yeah. And until you're there, you just don't get it. There, it's the <laughs> pearl of great price, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yep. whoa, I've discovered something amazing. I'll sell everything. Yeah. All weights, all hindrances, all sin, all distractions. I, I, there's nothing on the table that I wouldn't give, give up right now. And, uh, anyway, I think those are important things to think about for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Well, on that note. Volunteer of the week. There was a gap in the conversation, so I thought we were moving on. No, it's good. We did. We did. <laughs> Moved on. Rob, you have a volunteer of the week. Yes. Who do you uh, got? Renee and help me because I think it's McClarity, right? McClarity. Because okay. I always want to say. McClarity. <laughs> McClarity. No, it's McClarity. Is it like Scottish? What is the. I have no idea. Anyways, Renee. It is McClarity. So. Come and sure. talk to me. Let me know where your name comes from. Um, but anyways, yeah, Renee is our volunteer of the week. She was helping Info Center this week, which is something she does on, does on the monthly. Um, she met. She always meets new people there, connects with them. In fact, she signed up a new person to her life group this week, nice. which is another big area where she helps out. She helps to co-lead along with uh, Dave and his wife um, the life group that meets on Thursday evening. So they do that, and I'm sure she does a million other things. She's also been uh, a member of this church for many, many, many years. And uh, once upon a time, used to be on staff here. And uh, is an awesome all-around person. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Amen. Anything else to add to that about I, Renee? I, again, I what I don't have thirty minutes to say all the <laughs> yeah, amazing things about Renee and Steve. Um, yeah. So yeah, really appreciate her, and she could be a volunteer of the week. She was on staff when I got here, and uh, I really appreciated um, her leadership and uh, her support of me in that time, and her continued support. And yeah, love love both of them deeply. Appreciate How long has both. she been coming to the church? Do you know? I would say close to thirty years, yeah. somewhere around that. Some yeah, somewhere in there, maybe more. Um, yeah, I don't know, but I know they're originally from Southern California over yep. there. They were uh, Steve. Oh my goodness, worked yes. <laughs> Steve worked That's at, why we picked him. He worked home, at a Southern Christian California. He worked at a Christian <laughs> camp near where you were raised. That's right. And uh, Forest Home. Yeah. It's where uh, Billy Graham came to his senses and said, I will believe the Bible is the truth. <laughs> and uh, That's a good impression. A little I more tried. southern yeah. in there. There's southern like draw. There's like this weird Ebenezer there, and Ebenezer is a rock of remembering. Yeah. yeah. And because uh, I listened to Cody's exhortation. <laughs> that's true. But there's a rock there that supposedly he put his Bible on, and basically prayed and committed himself to believing that the Bible was the authoritative, inerrant mm. word of God, in the face of liberalism that was coming in at the time that was saying that the Bible is not without error. And uh, anyway, so yeah, it's kind of a famous site because Billy yeah. Graham sort of came yeah. to his senses right and there. And my, my mom grew up, well, a few years of her life it, there in that mountain town where Steve was working. And they probably rubbed shoulders but had no idea, mm -hmm. which is so funny. It's that a small world. But anyways, yeah. <clears throat> All thanks to Renee, the volunteer of the week. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so if you see Renee, make sure you give her a big thank you. Tell her she's appreciated and mm -hmm. let her know. She is the volunteer. It's time for Bible Trivia right now. All right. We have some Bible mm. trivia. Your trivia. I'm tired of being stumped. Your trivia question for this week is, which supernatural being or beings does the Bible say the Sadducees do not believe in? Come on. I just answered this. Did you? What that are you talking about? Well, angels. Was already angels and spirits. Angels Did you say that? Was I zoning in my, out in or my sermon? In my sermon. It's in Acts, uh, Acts yeah. 23. 23 what? That's the real trivia. Well, you were, the exact verse. Yeah. 23 8. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs>
Yeah, dude, no longer stumped. You nailed it. Jeez. He, he <laughs> That's took, so funny. He, he wow. took the exhortation from last week and lobbed you a softball. Yeah, I was like, amazing guy, softball. Good job, Aaron. It's, it's Easter go. week. I want everyone <laughs> to feel good about themselves. That's funny. Uh, I did miss it. Yeah. Um, we'll invite your neighbors, invite your friends. Yep, absolutely. And we'll see you on Easter. Thank you for listening to this On Sunday episode of the Canby Christian Church podcast. For more information about Canby Christian Church and its ministries, visit canbychristian.org.